Welcome into this fireside chat from the Cold Chain Summit. I'm Andrew Cox, research analyst here at Freightways, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with John Brewer, Director of Distribution and Logistics at CKE Restaurants. John, how are we? And thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me on, Andrew, and I'm doing quite well. Thank you. So for those who don't know CKE Restaurants, they are the parent company of both Hardy's and Carl Jr.'s, as well as a couple other brands. Uh, like I said, you are the Director of Distribution and Logistics. Tell us a little bit about that role, how long you've been there, and what your responsibilities are. Uh, as you said, I am the uh, Director of Distribution and Logistics. I've been with CKE about three and a half years. Uh, I've been in the industry over two and a half decades, with the majority of that being in food distribution. Uh, currently, as in my role, what I do is I manage all the distribution and logistics for all 50 states in the U.S. Uh, that involves uh, several DCs, redistributors, uh, carriers, uh, final mile delivery, and anything else that crops up at the moment. So you, you mentioned that you have a couple uh, third-party facilities. I think on, on your LinkedIn, you say you manage about or a little bit over a $500 million P&L across 15 different third-party facilities. What does that look like? What are the biggest challenges for you in managing such a big budget with so many facilities spread out across the entire country? That's a really good question, Andrew. Um, basically, it's broken down in the systems. The Hardy system is serviced by five um, third-party uh, DCs, and then the Carl's is with five. Uh, we also have two uh, redistribution companies who handle our slower-moving products. They have two DCs each and about three to two to 300 vendors uh, sending in inbound. In addition to that, we have about 3,000 stores coast-to-coast, -coast, Alaska and Hawaii, and we deliver to each of those stores at least once a week, and the majority of them we deliver twice a week. John, you mentioned that you run distribution, so you manage a lot of the relationships with carriers. Let's talk about what the current environment's been. We, we all know everybody in the logistics industry right now knows that capacity is tight, that volumes are moving very rapidly throughout the country, but that's been even more so the case with refrigerated capacity. We've seen Otri at you know above 25%. That's what we've become accustomed to, but that reefer outbound tender rejection rate has been upwards of 35 or 40%. So tell us what it's like been securing capacity uh, throughout this COVID-19 pandemic. It's been extremely challenging, Andrew. Um, I've been through 9-11. I saw the peaks in 18 and 14, uh, but I haven't seen anything like this in my entire career. So to your point, uh, obviously, the more specialized the piece of equipment, the tighter the pool uh, across the market is, and therefore, dry vans are a lot more plentiful than, than refrigerated trucks. Uh, we've had our challenges. Uh, we've uh, Sometimes these things even uh, we could lose capacity on, on almost an hourly basis. So we've really had to, to be nimble and be fast and uh, you know react to the market accordingly. Has that meant uh, an expanded, uh, expanded relationship with your current carriers, or have you had to go out and make new relationships, or, or have you had to use the spot market more? What, what's your strategy been so far? We've, we've worked with our incumbency as much as possible. Uh, obviously, we believe in the relationships and the long-term relationships, and we know that sooner or later this pandemic will wind down and we'll be back into a more of a level-set market. So we do try to keep those relationships. We have reached out to a few new ones just to kind of test the market and make sure that we're, we're getting the best price we can out in the marketplace. In addition, we've been having uh, conversations with our carrier partners about how, you know, when's the best time to ship 
given the day of the week, what levers as a shipper we can pull that will give us a, a stronger chance of finding that capacity. Um, I know in uh, lower California, we ship out, if we ship out towards the beginning of the week, it's a lot easier to find capacity than on Friday afternoon. So uh, anything we can do to think outside the box, you know, it may be mode selection. It could be a di- bunch of different things. We're just trying to, you know, be the, be the best shipper of choice and work with our carrier partners and continue those relationships. John, cold chain operations are unique in that each different chain has their own specific requirements, right? But in general, it's really important for cold chains to plan and stage food correctly so that there is the minimal amount of waste. One of those biggest challenging in securing cold chain uh, facility has been planning so far this year. What, what's been the challenges for you? Has it been as challenging finding additional warehouse capacity in cold storage as it has uh, finding additional trucking capacity? We haven't seen much of additional cold storage capacity issues. Uh, I know they're out there. I expect them to continue, if not worsen. Uh, we do have strong partnerships with our our cold storage facilities, and they were able to step up and partner with us and help us out with what we're trying to accomplish for the fall and for the winter. Um, basically, the, the biggest challenge we've had has probably been in more in the manufacturing sector and getting product to our DCs in a timely manner to make those trucks. Because to your point, recovery is costly. Yeah, John, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That brings me into my next topic uh, very easily. So let's talk about some of those challenges that COVID has either brought on or pre-existing challenges that COVID has highlighted. And one of those is the the concentration of meat production in this country. I didn't even realize this back when COVID really hit the Midwest pretty hard. There was one factory, one Tyson pork factory that got shut down for two weeks, and that was 4% of the nation's pork supply was gone, just like that. So did CKE run into similar challenges when it came to sourcing protein, as I did trying to find some steaks back in March and April? Yes, we we had our challenges with proteins uh, early on. Um, we addressed it. We, we addressed it with, you know, providing dual sourcing, triple sourcing, quadruple sourcing, anything we can find to just bridge those gaps. Uh, we also worked with our established relationships with our vendors and partnered with them to uh, speed up, you know, increase production, um, increase shifts. Uh, whatever they could do, and then we, we, our entire purchasing and inventory team started tightly monitoring these proteins almost on a daily basis. We had calls to see where everything was at and make sure that the POs arrived at the DCs when they needed and, and were were filled in full. So it's it's been quite a challenge, but I think we've navigated it well. Uh, I know there's some some other QSRs out there who probably had it a little bit harder than we did. So I'm I'm thankful that our team was able to take real good care of us and our vendor partners were able to work with us. And uh, we came out on the other side. And right now I can tell you that proteins are not a challenge. So uh, it's it was it was a rough haul, but we got through it. We weathered the storm. We came out on top. John, you told me off camera that CKE had been buying up additional meat or additional uh, meat storage places just to kind of be prepared for the possibility of factories shutting down again in the fall. Tell me why you've done that and, uh, and how long you expect to be using that strategy moving forward. We've, uh, we've increased our safety stock to, of those proteins, uh, obviously, uh, to bridge any gaps that may be for the foreseeable future. Uh, there have been uh, word and rumors out there that COVID may hit again this fall or this winter, and we want to be 100% prepared. We want to serve our guests uh, the, the food they want, when they want it, and in the manner they want it in. So we're going to do everything we can to, to make sure we have that product available for them to purchase. 
just a moment ago, you talked about having redundancy in your supply chain, making sure you had multiple sourcing partners for different meats. Let's talk about the alternative meat here for a second. You know, you guys have been selling the Beyond Burger at Hardee's and at Carl's Jr. One, how is that doing? And two, do you see it as just another, um, another way to diversify your supply chain? We have had uh, tremendous success with the Beyond product. That's who we partnered with. Uh, we've done their uh, patties. We've also done their sausage uh, in both Hardee's and Carl's Jr. Uh, we weren't necessarily looking at it as an alternative food source necessarily, as much as we were looking to diversify our flavor platform for our customers, uh, providing them a different option should they choose to do it. Uh, the Carl's Jr. brand has really taken off with that with uh, with the West Coast customers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just supplementing our, our inventory just as a side as a sidebar. So we know a couple benefits there, giving the consumers a little bit more choice, giving you guys some more options. But what are the challenges? Are there any challenges to storing, uh, securing and selling the alternative meats compared to uh, regular beef or chicken? None at all. It follows the same protocols as the traditional beef, pork, and chicken. So it, it fits right in well with what we're doing. Uh, it's an easy add. And uh, like I said, if we can provide different opportunities to our customers and entice their flavors and feed feed their happy, if you will, uh, then we're all for that. So seems that you guys have definitely learned that the plant-based meats are a big hit with the Carl's Jr. and the West Coast. What are some other lessons that you've learned recently uh, that will help you better prepare for disruptions moving forward? Obviously, uh, like I mentioned, uh, making sure we have plenty of inventory. Um, I will probably go back to relationships throughout this interview because that is key and vital to any operation, uh, making sure those are strong. Uh, the, the dual sourcing out there as well. Uh, and then also uh, just monitoring daily, if, you know, several times a day, just making sure that our inventory management, our purchasing teams, and even our distribution teams are working as one cohesive unit to make sure everything flows the way it should. I'm glad you mentioned that word, John, monitoring. That's where I wanted to go next, and that's with really with automation, because automation has kind of a different uh, a, a different mindset when you're talking about cold chain than it would for maybe a CPG or a regular warehouse. Here, a lot of a lot of automation is based about automating the and the constant detection and control of temperature and of quality of food. Tell us a little bit about the technology that CKE utilizes to control the quality. Obviously, um, with food, I mean, there's there's a certain quality and a certain security, especially with refrigerated or, or, or frozen food. We uh, we use PIM monitors or what the industry calls temp tails on the uh, back, middle, and front of the uh, the uh, cargo in the trailer. Those are checked upon receipt. If those are out of spec, uh, then we go back and we have the carrier run a log off their reefer unit on the vehicle and that provides temps throughout the entire transit, and we're able to see if, if the abuse occurred, and if it is, we, we turn the load back, and we will not accept it. John, the, the Internet of Things has been deployed all over many different industries in many different ways, but it seems to me that in cold chain specifically, the Internet of Things may be uh, one of the best utilized places for it. Why do you think that is? Is, is it just the, the need for constant quality control from, uh, from production to when it's on the table? I think so. I think uh, the, the temp monitoring is key on this. Uh, I was reading an article, I think you guys might have even put it out, about FedEx preparing for the uh, COVID vaccine. Uh, the tech that they're using is a low-energy, low-cost Bluetooth device that rides with the package. 
Uh, it can determine so much. It can determine location, temperature, humidity, light, shock. Uh, it can even determine if the package has been opened or not. And that is, is, is extremely critical with medication, but it's also extremely critical with food as well. John, technology, uh, whether it be the Internet of Things and data analytics, uh, along with the data that they're, they're pulling in there, it's helping reduce the size and the scale and the footprint of cold storage facilities. Tell us a little bit about the technology that CKE has used to either reduce its footprint or become more efficient. I believe uh, you were able to implement a, a system to reduce the cost for CKE by over a million dollars recently. Can you speak to that a bit? Uh I can. The biggest thing we we really focused on lately is is uh, product obsolescence, uh, and that comes with everything has a shelf life. Uh, that comes through forecasting. That comes through uh, proper marketing. Uh, that comes through balancing and rebalancing, and sometimes even more rebalancing of your distribution network to move promotional items from one area of the country to the other. Where you know they may be selling like hot hotcakes in St. Louis, but they're not doing too well in Florida. So we move that stuff around and, and balance it out. So we, by the time our promotion is over with, uh, the the food that is actually left uh, doesn't have a chance to go obsolete. So John, what's next for CKE? We all know that there are some big technology leaps on the horizon, whether it be from autonomous vehicles to electric vehicles. What do you think is the next step for CKE? What technologies do you guys implement in the next couple of years? I see us. Um, Focusing obviously the the autonomous trucks as you mentioned is going to have a huge impact on on every industry. Um, we're we're in the more customer facing side of the business, looking at that. Uh, we're also looking at innovation with our, our culinary groups, uh, bringing new flavors, new taste to the market. Uh, we've always been kind of on the cutting edge of that, leading the pack, uh, doing doing the things that you know people people didn't necessarily do, uh, and and just kind of being that that innovator and that uh, disruptor out there. So I, I see that continuing. I see the uh, the social media platforms continuing to play a role in all markets, not just QSR. Uh, those are going to become more and more heavy. Uh, your your ghost kitchens, uh, along with your uh, your delivery vehicles, your grub hubs, your uh, what I don't even know the all of them. Um, those are going to become those are going to become more prevalent. Uh, kind of going back to that Internet of Things when people want their their burger at their front doorstep and they want it now. So those are going to be everything's going to seem to get faster and more efficient that way, in my opinion. Um, so those those are some of the things that we're kind of looking at and we're integrating with as well. So. What about on the, the data and market analytics side? What kind of data do you guys search out for, and, and how do you use that data to keep up with constantly changing consumer behaviors? Uh, basically, we, we, do a lot, we do a lot with social media, um, you know, people interacting with us. Uh, we also do uh, in uh, surveys, uh, online surveys with our customers, uh, and reward them with a, with a free food item if they complete the survey. So it's uh, we're constantly getting seeking that feedback out from the marketplace. We do a lot of a lot of testing of our products, a lot of taste tests, uh, a lot of different demographics, uh, looking at things in that manner, so that uh, we can we can deliver the platform, the flavor platform that the certain demographic of the country is necessarily looking for. Well, as you said earlier, that demographic is constantly changing. We never know. Some things may sell like hotcakes in, in St. Louis and not be selling at all in Florida. Uh, so good to have data there to keep up with everything. John, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day and, and hope to talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate you having me on. You're welcome, sir. All right, everyone, stay tuned. We've got plenty more for you here for the rest of the day at the Cold Chain Summit. You guys don't go anywhere. Enjoy.